So thank you again, everyone, for being here. Um, I wanted to talk about the idea of the Bodhisattva. It's something that's come up, I don't know why, a, a number of times this week. It's, um, I don't know, I, I, oh, I think I was reading about it, and then I actually saw a few things that referenced it. And so, you know, ah. I thought it's something I wanted to, to, to look into. And um, it's often thought of as a strictly Mahayana idea. And I think you all are familiar with the, the, the different schools of Buddhism. There's the Theravada, the lineage of the elders, and then the later, the later um, movement of Buddhism throughout um, Tibet and into China, Korea, and Japan is considered Mahayana, a different school uh, with different texts. Um, and uh, oftentimes the Bodhisattva is thought of a strictly Mahayana idea, but there was uh, an idea of the Bodhisattva in Theravada practice. And in fact, the Buddha called himself a Bodhisattva a number of times. And in that um, context, it means destined for Buddhahood or Buddha to be. And what that means is that uh, there's more than one Buddha. And in fact, the Buddha talks about this in the Pali Canon. He talks about, um, I think on his uh, the night of his awakening, he saw the Buddhas of the past, he saw the Buddha of the future, and that there, and he saw his own multiple lives, and he saw all the lives of everyone who ever uh, existed. And so there is this idea of bodhisattva, and it, it simply means, as I said, destined for Buddhahood or on the path of the Buddha to be. And um, the, the idea of the bodhisattva is someone who's dedicated to the spiritual path and the path of enlightenment. In, particularly in, in Theravada teachings in the Pali Canon, and that they are dedicated to seeing clearly and seeing the cause of suffering and seeing that clinging and aversion really is that, that, that stickiness. It's, it's what keeps us stuck in this cycle of birth and death and rebirth and death and rebirth. In fact, when the Buddha saw you know, on his awakening, he saw all his prior lives and he saw, you know, everything he did and the stickiness and the continual rebirth. And in um, a little bit later text that's still part of the Pali Canon, but it's later, they have the treatise of uh, the Paramis, which talks about um, some of the Buddha's prior lives, the Jataka tales, and there's more Jataka tales. But they are, each of these Jataka tales are stories of a prior incarnation of the Buddha, of, of the person who eventually took birth as Siddhartha Gautama and, and, and became the Buddha that we, that we know um, as the teacher of, of these, these texts that we study. And he spent many, many lifetimes, many lifetimes developing different qualities that lead to enlightenment. And that's where the paramis come in, these, these 10 qualities that are requisite for enlightenment. And I love the teaching of the paramis, and I, I talk about them quite often. They are um, wisdom and generosity and loving kindness and patience and determination and energy and equanimity. Um, yeah, they're, they're not anything new or different from any other teachings, but they're kind of 
put in this particular framework. And these uh, each each of these lifetimes was a little bit of a more maturing of a quality for the Buddha. So maybe he spent four or five thousand lifetimes developing patience. I don't want to scare you, but that's kind of that was the mythology that it really took a lot of time, which I think is just a metaphor for saying this is challenging. It's it's not oh, it's not something we get overnight. Um, so and then another another path that the bodhisattvas follow is the Eightfold Path. You know, that's the basic, the four four noble truths and the Eightfold Path. And this is the path leading to enlightenment. The four foundations of mindfulness, the mindfulness, the direct path to realization. And it's pretty much um, uh, in Theravada teaching, it's pretty much the monastics, the monks and the nuns who are on this path, who study deeply and who teach. And teaching is part of their path as well. They, they teach this thing, they teach um, um this this path to others so that they can move into perhaps uh, a path towards enlightenment and buddhahood as the buddhism spread through um into tibet into china korea and japan the idea of the bodhisattva became um more popular and it kind of morphed and evolved into something that was available to a broader audience. As I said, in Theravada, it was kind of um, confined to monastics. But in Mahayana, it's available to all beings. And in the Mahayana uh, conversation about Bodhisattva, Bodhisattva, and this is the one I'm more familiar with, is the Bodhisattva is the one who forgoes their own enlightenment until all beings are liberated. So they are on this path, but their path is to end suffering for all, not just for themselves. And Shantideva is a wrote this treatise in the 7th century called the Bodhisattva's Guide to Life. And that's the first time the mention of the Bodhisattva, there was the mention of the Bodhisattva vow. And the, the vow that I'm most familiar with, and you're probably most familiar with, is the one a, a Zen version, which is, beings are numberless, I vow to save them. Delusions are inexhaustible, I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable. I vow to become it. So it's almost this impossible task. You know, beings are numberless. There's no end to beings, but I'm going to save them. So it's this really, um, this, this, I don't know, idealistic, this really altruistic, this practice of generosity, of being willing to work towards ending suffering for all beings. And I think it's a beautiful sentiment and, and one that we can um, reflect on. And even if we don't take a formal bodhisattva vow, which is much more in the Mahayana tradition than Theravada tradition, um, I think it's it's simple enough for us to say that being a bodhisattva is simply saying you're going to live, dedicate your life to living in a certain way. And as I think about my life, I have found that the Eightfold Path and, and living in this way has, has had a tremendous impact on how I move through the world. 
and I am dedicated to continuing this walking um, in this path. And so I guess if you think about it, if I want to, if I want to, I could say that I'm on the path of a bodhisattva. Uh, and um, it doesn't land weird. It sounds, you know what, that's really nice, you know? And I think when you do move into this practice, it's not just about not doing things that cause harm, but it's about seeing where harm is caused and working towards ending it. It's not just a, a passive type of practice, but there's an active uh, an action component into it. And when you look at the um, the uh, embodiments of the Bodhisattva, you have um, uh, Avalot, I can never say the name, Avalotikitshvara, which is the Indian idea of the Bodhisattva, who then kind of is, which is considered a masculine uh, being and then in when it moves into China and becomes Guan uh, Guan Yin and then Quan Yin, uh, who are feminine um, images of the Bodhisattva, they are um, poised to move into action at any moment. They the oftentimes you see the statues where their legs they're sitting cross-legged but one foot is on the the one foot is on the ground ready to jump into action when when the need arises um and they talk about um kuan yin in particular as the embodiment of compassion and she who hears the cries of the world and a bodhisattva is someone who helps the world is dedicated to truth, is dedicated to loving kindness, is dedicated to living this path. And it doesn't have to be a Buddhist practitioner. I think that's the important point too. It can be anyone who is working to help others, who is who is working towards the good of all, working towards ending um, ending uh, uh, greed and hatred and ignorance. Um, Ending hate, that's a lot, you know, the stop Asian hate. There was a lot of the rally I went to today, there was a lot of talk about this. It's not just stopping hate, you know, that you just don't just don't hurt someone, but what are you going to do to fix fix the problems? It's not just, you know, the passiv passivity. Um, so we can find examples of bodhisattvas everywhere. My first inspiration as a child beyond TV characters, was Jane Goodall. I read her book, In the Shadow of Man, and I just, you know, and I, I loved what she did. I loved what she had to say. She was very inspirational to me, and, and I've read a lot of memoirs and a lot of biographies of people who have overcome challenges and worked to help other beings. And it's, it's um, I, I always come away with, if they can do it, I can do it. It's almost like the Buddha taking refuge in the Buddha in the Triple Gem. If the Buddha could do it, I could do it. The Buddha said, I don't teach this to you. If I didn't think you could do it, I wouldn't ask you to do it. I've done it. You can do it. And it's the same thing. So this bodhisattva ideal is not something sitting on a shelf somewhere that's unattainable. 
It's really about how we show up in the world, how we greet each situation, um, how we and we can um, so we can broaden our defin, definition of, of, of bodhisattva. It's following the eightfold path, you know. It's willing to be uncomfortable. It's willing to sit with. Um, you know, these things about ourselves that we may not like. This is also called the path of purification, you know, where we we kind of move and get rid of these toxins that we've had, this conditioning that may not be skillful, that may not be helpful. We have to be willing to purify ourselves of, of this crap that we're carrying around, this, these wrong views, these wrong actions, these unwise um, unskillful ways we show up in the world that we've been we've been um, impacted. Uh, you know we've been impacted by the world around us, and to begin to um, let go of those things um, and uh, perhaps and move more wisely. Um, you know, and to recognize that um, we're not isolated. What is it? I was um, reading something about this and talking about, you know, what was I reading? I when we get caught up in the I, me, mine, that's when we suffer. And that's the antithesis of the, of the bodhisattva. The bodhisattva is not I, me, mine. The bodhisattva is us. I am working, I am committed to the liberation of all beings. That's not, you know, this, this contracted me, me, me. It's we've, we've let go of ego. We've let go of I, me, mine. And, in, and it's all about us. And I've talked about this before where meditation, this practice of mindfulness, cultivates empathy, cultivates those mirror neurons where we can be more compassionate to others, where we can see the suffering of others, be touched by the, the suffering of others. Um, that quivering of the heart, have that compassion. Karuna means quivering of the heart. So we are touched by the suffering of others and we are called to act in however we can. We don't have to save the world. We can't save the world ourselves. This is a practice of generations. This is a practice of, of doing something today that hopefully will have an impact tomorrow, next year. You know, I'm not going to live long enough to see the world be a wonderful, beautiful place. I'm going to die, and there's still going to be shit going on. I, I'm not thinking that anything I can do is going to fix everything. I used to want that. I wish I could fix solve world hunger. And I always sometimes go, if they asked me, if they asked me, <laughs> but uh, probably not. Um, I have a couple of good ideas, but I certainly don't have all the answers because I'm just me. So we have to, this, pra this path, this practice, this dissolving of self-view and ego, um, this elimination of us and other, is part of this path and we begin to see each other's humanity and that's how we move into this path of the bodhisattva. Um, and it's and it's not a far step from 
committing to this path of bodhisattva to committing to a path of social justice and social action. And Diana Winston, who is a wonderful teacher here in Los Angeles, she's the director of the Mindful Awareness Research Center. She gave a talk 20 years ago after 9-11, and a little bit less than 20 years ago. And she talked about how to be a bodhisattva. She said it's a useful, a wonderful and useful archetype for our work as socially engaged Buddhists. And it's about ending suffering where you see it. She says it's about choosing to act with as much wisdom and compassion as we possibly can. Again, that's the two wings of awakening they they talk about. Wisdom seeing clearly what's happening, seeing clearly where we're holding on and where the suffering is is coming from, and and compassion, having that open-heartedness, that willingness to be uncomfortable. That's what vulnerability is, the willingness to be uncomfortable, says Brene Brown, and I really like that definition. So Diana wrote this article, no, she gave a talk, And she said, to be a bodhisattva in today's world, it starts simply like the Eightfold Path starts with the second factor of the Eightfold Path is intention. Having an intention to choose and act with wisdom and compassion. When we act to be wise and compassionate, supported by the Eightfold Path, supported by, you know, the paramis. And we have to have a spiritual practice. I couldn't do this without a mindfulness practice because I'd be all over the place. I'd be so caught up in my fear. I wouldn't be able to see fear as fear. I'd be in it. I wouldn't be able to see anger as anger. I'd be in it. I can have fear. I can have anger. It can it can exist, but I'm no longer subsumed or overtaken by it most of the time. Most of the time. I can see see the thinking mind. I can see those habits for what they are. So this this spiritual practice is a, this, this place where you can um, take refuge and have a foundation is critically important. Um, oh yeah, I have some notes on that. Um, yeah, spiritual practice is something to help us know ourselves. We have to move into this with this idea of non-attachment, um, to let go of outcomes and expectations. As I said, uh, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna die before this stuff is fixed. There's gonna be voter suppression even after I'm dead, I'm sure. But, you know, we doesn't mean we don't work towards it. She, she has a line that's great, we have to think in geologic time. This stuff takes a while. You know, we can get into the habit of, well, if I'm not gonna see a result, then I'm not gonna do it. And it's like, no, we continue to organize, we continue to lay the groundwork, we continue to do what we can, where we are with what we have. Um, we have to take action, we act wisely. You know, as I said, where we can, with what we have and the time we have. Um, we have to know history. We have to both know history of social movements, social justice movements, understand, you know, like Gandhi and nonviolence and MLK and and the civil rights movement and the labor movement, know the history of how this of what of what comes before. And we also have to know the history of what we're dealing with, the reality. I mean, you've learned history in school. 
that's not really what happened in this country. You know, my very first job as when I was 18, um, I was in San Jose and my boss was a woman who spent her number of years as a child in a, in a, a Japanese internment camp. I had never heard of that until she was talking about it. I was clueless. How come I didn't learn about these things? You know, um, we have to learn about the history of this country. Our country has a great habit of, it has an amnesia problem and it makes up stories about how we are wonderful and blah, 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 blah. And that's not the reality of our country. The reality is, is uh, brutal uh, and built on the backs of people who are not white. And we have to understand that and see what really happened. I mean, the more I learned about the history of this country, the more invigorated I am to shift whatever I can and how I can. So that's really important, too. So know history. Be informed. Um, create community or have a community. Find people who are doing the stuff you want to do. Find something meaningful to you. And then seek out your people who are wise, who are skillful. You have spiritual community, Kalyanamita, spiritual friends. And then you have activist friends. You know, I belong to this organization, Clergy and Laity United for Economic Justice. And we do a lot of organizing and actions. And it's, um, you know, because I, I want to do it all, but I can't do it all. So you have to, you know, find, find those spaces that are, that are meaningful to you. And know there's going to be obstacles. There's going to be doubt, self-judgment. You know, um, it's, it's, I'm not ready. I'm not good enough. You know, and it's just, we just do what we can. We just do what we can. And um, it's, it's a way to live a meaningful life. And as far, I saw something, I think it was yesterday on Facebook, that kind of ties into this. It's um, Patricia Musham Ikeda, who is a teacher, and I think she's one of the co-founders of East Bay Meditation um, Center up in Oakland. She has this, uh, it's like a bodhisattva vow, but it's a little bit different. And she posted it, actually, it was three years ago, and then she reposted it. It popped up in her Facebook feed, and she said, aware of suffering and injustice, I, and you state your name, and working to create a more just, peaceful, and sustainable world. I promise for the benefit of all to practice self-care, mindfulness, healing, and joy. I vow not to burn out. So I think that's a really important piece of this too, you know, because it's so easy to burn out in this work. It's so easy to become discouraged. So to have add as this bodhisattva vow to take care of yourself. Because how in heaven's name are you going to bring all beings to? Um, oh, thanks, Charles Lee. You have the you put the 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 link in there. How can you vow to save uh, lead all beings to enlightenment if you burn out? You have to take care of yourself. It's just common sense. And then I was reading um, reading something on Larry Ward's website yesterday, and he talked about engaging the bodhisattva ideal too. Um, 
It's uh, people who've dedicated their lives to embodied vocation of collective care. It's collective care. We take care of each other. We take care of each other and we, we are included in that. Each other. Each of us. So I invite you to reflect on the, the idea of bodhisattva in your life. What does it mean? You know, I think we can each, I really believe we can each come to some type of, of a place where um, dedicating our lives to the, for the good of all doesn't necessarily mean, you know, taking vows and becoming a monastic or, or, you know, doing any particular formulaic path. But how do you do good each day? What is meaningful to you in your own circumstances? Because we're all different. We all have different um, time constraints. We all have different abilities. We all have different lives. We all have different biographies. And so what's meaningful to you that helps to end suffering for, for, for anybody? That's, that's all you have to do. It doesn't have to be grandiose. I used to think I had to be Mother Teresa. I used to think I, that was where I had to go. And anything less was a failure. And so I didn't do anything or did a minimal amount, because, but it was never enough. Never That judging, critical mind that can be so harsh and so debilitating. And the, But instead, the invitation, and this is what I love, the invitation is you do what you can, you know, for collective care. Being kind, not causing harm, being generous, being patient, and doing the best you can. Because, you know, it took the Buddha bazillions of lifetimes. So you're not going to get it today. You're not going to get it tomorrow. But we try. That's, that's all we ask is we try. So thank you, my friends, for your, um, for your, uh, your patience, your indulgence. And are there any questions or comments or thoughts? Tell me your Bodhisattva story. Thank you for visiting Undefended Dharma. These teachings are freely offered. However, if you would like to make a donation to help support the technology that makes these podcasts possible, please visit marystancavage.org backslash support. Thank you.